Hey, on today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, is it possible that Fast X could maybe actually flop? We'll look at the numbers and talk about that. Little Mermaid actually had a terrific open Memorial Day weekend, opening in the top five of all time. What movies do you need to watch first before going seeing The Flash? One of the people calls into our Mint Mobile hotline to ask about that. Quentin Tarantino seems to take some shots at Ryan Reynolds' Netflix films. Mark Hamill says he's probably not going to be involved in any future Star Wars movies with Rey. And The Last of Us Season 2 is not expected till at least 2025. Ugh! And maybe 2026. That and a whole bunch more of The John Campion Show starts right now. And salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the Planet Earth, The John Campion Show, coming from right here on our channel. My name is, of course, John Campion, and this show is brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. And here we talk about all the things that we love, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but also hopefully giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or absolutely completely different from ours. I'm joined in here today by Ray Ora. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, Jonathan Boyko is over here. Good morning, everybody. And of course, the delightful Chris Carr is here. Happy Memorial Day. And oh, is today Memorial Day? Mm -hmm. I'm still not adjusted to American holidays. Listen, Canadian, <laughs> you have an iPhone and that thing tells you every holiday <laughs> I, under the sun. It only no, says I, Boxing Day. <laughs> Now, that's right. If it doesn't say Boxing Day, it's completely... I celebrate Boxing Day. I know about these things, I'm too. I'm glad you do. Boxing Day is a wonderful it's great. holiday. Is it? It's so <laughs> it is. It's a fabulous holiday. I'll have you know. Thank you very much. Uh, and listen, guys, we got a bunch of things we got to talk about here today. Here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to start off by talking about those predetermined topics we just mentioned. But also, in the second part of the show, we're going to take questions from our YouTube channel members. On our YouTube channel, we have memberships, and those members have sent in a bunch of questions for us to answer. It, by the way, if you are one of our YouTube channel members, thank you so much for being a channel member. Every day, right before we record the podcast, in the community tab, we put up a post asking for you guys to send in questions, and we get through as many of those as we can every single day here on the show. So with that down, let's uh, get into it here, shall we? And let's, let's start with Fast and the Furious. Fast and the Furious is a really interesting scenario because as of right now, the last I checked, Fast and the Furious, Fast X, has made a, just a hair over $500 million after just two, it's two of first weekends. $500 million. I think it's like 512 or something along those lines. By almost any, almost any measure, that's outstanding. There are filmmakers, most filmmakers, who would dream of ever making a movie that made half a billion dollars. And here we are with Fast X. It's already done it after two weeks, or at least two weekends. Not bad, except for two things. The first thing is it took a 66% drop from weekend one to weekend two. A 60, to be specific, a 65.7% drop. It's a steeper drop than the dam he drove off of. <laughs> oh, how long have you been sitting on that? Oh, it just came to me right now. Did it? that good. Well done. <laughs> well done, which is, you know, not good, especially considering it never had a huge opening weekend, right? We talk about this. When movies have really huge opening weekends, you can kind of expect a little bit of a bigger second weekend drop-off because so many people already saw it. But its official opening weekend number was like $67 million, which is good, but not huge. 
So that's not great. And then the other thing that's not so great is when you actually think about how much money this movie needs to break even. With a $340 million budget, which makes it one of the single most expensive films in the history of cinema, and a rough $150 million marketing budget, you're talking about a movie that, ex- that price tag is about close to $500 million. That means this movie needs $750 million just to break even. And yes, it's already made five hundred, million, but it's made the vast majority of the money it's going to make. And it's declining quickly, as we saw with that 66% drop. So it is astounding to me that we are talking about the possibility of a Fast and Furious movie. A Fast and the Furious movie that's already made $500 million may not break even. It might end up as a money loser. And that, to me, in the words of Vincini, is inconceivable. <laughs> Absolutely inconceivable. Now, look, it, it very well could have much better overseas legs than it does here. And it is still very conceivable that this movie could very well pass that $750 million mark and get itself into profitability territory. It, it absolutely has the power to do that. I'm just saying that sitting here after its second weekend, I can't believe that it looks like it might be possible that it doesn't break even. So now, Chris, we made a video about, well, we made two different videos about this earlier today. We talked about the first weekend or the second weekend drop, and we talked about how much it needs to break even. You weren't here for those conversations. Mm -mm. But when you look at this situation, what do you attribute that big drop from weekend one to weekend two? And is this thing going to cross that $750 million finish line that it needs to go across just to break even? What do you think about it? I feel like, and we've talked about this before, after nine and after that did so poorly, you know, as far as the actual events of the movie were received. Yeah, horrible movie. Yeah, this this movie really had to do a lot of heavy lifting to get people back on board. Because as we've seen, typically, you know, the the actual critical ratings and everything of these movies have been very, very low, but the fans keep coming out to see them. They are constantly suspending their disbelief for all of the things that this crew is capable of doing. Well, I think a lot of the fans are like me. Like, I, I say, this is a terrible movie. Fast but X. it's fun. But there's a lot of fun in it. Like, there's there is upside to the film, yeah. you know? There's fun. There's a lot of heart from everyone who I know who loves this franchise so much always talks about it's kind of the the idea of uh, that Logan always talks about the tombstone pizza. Yeah, it's not good, but still pizza. It's still pizza. You like it. You'll have a fun time. And everyone who always talks to me about these movies talks about how, yeah, they're kind of silly, but you have such a blast because it's this high octane adventure that you're willing to just go along for the literal ride here. Right. But after they really, really jumped that shark, which given the everything, I've seen so many <laughs> compilations. What a shark. What a jump. A this movie. And even Jason Statham himself could not kick it in the face <laughs> to get this in order. This movie really, really needed to get people back on track, and I think it just didn't do that. You have so many things that would create a pop in the audience, too. Having super fan Brie Larson in this, having Jason Momoa, who by all accounts I have heard is amazing in this he's, movie. He's really good. I, I got to say, as much as I like the car chases in it, and as much as I like the hand-to-hand combat, which is quite good, Jason Momoa was the best thing about this movie. He was. I loved his his character. I keep hearing that. I think this is just... This series has gotten so far removed from what it was 
that I think now they really do need to kind of do a back to basics and simplify their story. I don't know if you can move backwards like that. Again, I need to say that I'm totally talking out of my butt, y'all. I haven't seen these except for Hobbs and Shaw. But the first movie was about racing and and the first few movies yeah Yeah. and now it's this elite task force and of course your characters are going to grow and change and take on new adventures but i think now things are just so zany and nonsensical that even people who are here for the tombstone pizza experience are being lost in the dust ray you you said something earlier today about I did. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, something about like you you made a comparison with the Transformers movies and something about it crossing a line. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a certain point like like I was saying earlier that I I'm not too critical when I judge movies. I like to point out the positives, the fun. Like I that that review that you have of this movie would be something that I would say about a lot of movies. Right. But I think there's a certain line where it's uh you can only go so far even with someone like me. And I find something start getting it starts getting dumb. It starts. I, I can imagine it insults most of the smarter population. You know what I mean? Like a Transformers was doing it, and you could see it dropped off big time after. I think I think that had three strikes on that one, or three or two, where it started dropping off Four. a little bit. Four. No, no, no. But I meant like it started from from the last one. It started from the. Yeah, whatever. Like, I thought the first Transformers movie was good. Right. But then two was bad. That's first strike. Three was bad. So two through five. Second strike. Four was bad. And Third then strike. they did the and worst of the all. The, the, no, no. Then yeah. they did the worst. Yeah, you're right. They did the worst of all, which was the last night. And that one took a major drop in box uh, office. Yeah, you're right. patience with this movie seems to be a lot less than the Transformers. I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's what I think. I think it's just like they need to do better. I think there's people are getting smarter. It's not just about the bonkers action. There needs it needs to make sense somewhat. Wait, okay, so Jonathan, here's the thing. It's the reality is this movie has still made over half a billion dollars. Doesn't it hurt? After <laughs> after after just two weekends. Does now it's it's taken a significant drop, but let's fast forward, let's look into the future, six weeks into the future. Has Fast X broken even? Will will this movie break even? What do you think? I think it will. I think it's just going to break even. Um, they'll get away with it. They always do. Dom and his crew, his they family. Always they always get away with it. They always get away with it in the end. I think they'll break even. But does break even, uh, does that qualify a sequel? Or does it have to make big profit? That's what I want to know. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I think if it breaks even... You know they're already talking about doing Fast X Part Two, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. If it breaks even, I think that guarantees it. But I wonder if Universal execs are now doing the unthinkable. I wonder if they're giving Vin Diesel a call and saying, "Look, the next one cannot cost that much." Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, listen, a blockbuster budget is two hundred million. They went to three hundred and forty. Yeah. Like, I am not going to doubt one second if they sit down with Vin Diesel and say, hey, listen, I know all the cast in this movie are your family, (laughs) but you're going to have to talk to everybody about taking pay cuts and you don't get to go to 17 different countries. I don't know how many countries that went in the Fast X. It was a lot. You don't get to go to 34 different locations and you're going to have to, we're going to have to reel back this budget by 50%. I think that happens. Absolutely. We, we talk about on here all the time, winning cures everything. Losing 
makes conversations much more, yeah, much more brings difficult. Up much more difficult conversations. And this has been Universal's most financially viable franchise of all time. Like, let's not get that twisted. This has been their most successful franchise. No matter what the plot lines have been, no matter how you feel about it, no matter how I feel about it, it doesn't negate that this has been a moneymaker up until the, these last few films, where wow, we've seen this decline. And Vin Diesel has had a lot of creative control and a lot of say in how these films are executed. I think we're going to see that start to change now, too. What's the drop-off? We were just talking about domestic, right? Do we know internationally yeah. the drop-off? I haven't looked at the specific okay. numbers. Oh, yeah, because for... internationally, because what would that say about are do we are we too critical of our own films or whatever? That's a different conversation, but Ooh, you know, well, that's I mean, a great different, conversation. Different though, right? things appeal to different countries. It's some things appeal more here. Like ninety-five percent of the time, the trend you see in the North American box office is what will be overseas as well. Okay. But sometimes something will be a big hit here and not do well overseas, or vice versa, right? But, so it's really hard to put a formula but, on it. Because what if Fast X is translated into an actual good story to all the other countries? Like they totally change you know, the dialogue yeah. for every other country. So. And all of a sudden, it's some riveting drama. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to our next topic here, shall we? Yeah, speaking of box office, Little Mermaid has uh, had its debut and it opened over the Memorial Day weekend. And it did pretty damn well. I mean, it made more on its opening weekend than Fast X did. As a matter of fact, it made more opening weekend than one of the other more recent Disney live action remakes, Aladdin did. And Aladdin went on to make a billion dollars. Anyway, Little Mermaid made about $118 million on Memorial Day weekend. And that is good enough to be in the top five all time, beating out films like Aladdin, Fast and the Furious 6, X-Men Days of Future Past, and only behind films like X-Men The Last Stand, Indiana Jones, The King of Crystal Skull, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, and of course, Top Gun Maverick, which is the number one memorial uh, opening weekend of all time with $160 million for its Memorial Day weekend bow, with The Little Mermaid being at 118, good for number five. This, I think, is a number that Disney has to be happy with at this point. Again, when you have a bigger opening than one of your other films, and that other film made a billion dollars. Not that I think Little Mermaid's going to join the Billion Dollar Club. I don't. But this is a charming, fun little movie. And I say that as somebody who is not a Little Mermaid fan. And I, I've talked about that a lot. I actually did an open spoiler discussion this weekend with a, a bunch of our viewers. And at the end of the day, this movie is just not their best live-action remake, but a charming, fun little movie that I'll go out, I'll be the one to say it. I'll take the bullet. This is better than the original. Whoa. Now I say, now you, you got to take that statement with the grain of salt that I am one of the few people that is not really a big fan of the original, right? I know most people are. So for most people, I think you'll prefer the, the original animated over this one. And I respect that. That's great. But I am one of those people that I, I didn't think the original was all that great. And I thought this was a charming, fun little film. And the results that it got, I think are good. That being said, it could have a second weekend problem because we did a, a video about this earlier today on the YouTube channel where it's not just a second weekend in a vacuum. It's a second weekend that's going up against Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which just so happens to be another family demographic film. Like we said earlier that if it was opening up, if, let's say it's second weekend, it was facing Oppenheimer or... The Color Purple or something or, or uh, uh, what's what's the name of the new 
uh, Martin Scorsese, Killers Flowers of the Flower the Moon. Yeah. That would still be fine because, you know, those movies will have their audience. Little Mermaid is still going off after that family demographic, but it's going up against Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. And I think it could have a little bit of a second weekend problem. But listen, let tomorrow's problems be dealt with tomorrow. Today is a day for them to celebrate, I think, because I think this is a pretty damn good opening. So, Chris, you were talking about this. You enjoyed this film. Yeah. I don't think you agree with me that it's better than the original. I do not. I did not think so. But what do you think about the opening and, and where could this go? I think this is fantastic. I think this, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I really, really think this has potential to be close to that billion dollar club, but then Spider-Verse is going to knock it off of its pedestal because Spider-Verse, I think, is going to dominate the box office like nobody's business. That is my most anticipated film this year. I think this is great, though. I think it gives Disney a really great blueprint of what to do moving forward. If you want to adapt your classic animation, things from that kind of golden age of Disney, right? When we had this kind of 90s, late 80s renaissance with things like The Little Mermaid, like Beauty and the Beast. This is how you do it. You treat it like Cinderella. You treat it like Aladdin. You treat it like this version of The Little Mermaid where you update and adapt and take things that work for your audience and you get rid of some of the things that don't. Les Poissons, I love, but it didn't fit in here. The new music fit in really, really lovely. I don't care what any of you say. I love Scuttlebutt. I think it's great. I think Scuttlebutt was a wonderful song. It's delightful. I really like it. It's an earworm, and I love it. So many people in the comments were like, it's so cringe. You're cringe. Get out of here. I love it. (laughs) You're cringe. And certain things certainly (laughs) didn't work. You know, there's certain things that I wasn't crazy about that, you know, there were certain little additions to plot points that I thought maybe it'd be a little more convoluted and things. But I've heard from other folks that they liked the additions that they've made in this film. Um, can I say any spoilers or are we still not in that? Let, yeah, let's not go okay, there. Yeah. Cool. But I. <laughs> well. <laughs> well um, but for the most part, I think this is a really, really big win for Disney. I think that it also. All those people who were saying that they didn't think this was going to be successful for nonsensical reasons, for very, very silly reasons, I think now they can just shut up. Oh, they won't. They I, won't. They, they certainly won't. Of course won't. not. I mean, these are the same people that when Avatar The Way of Water came out on its opening weekend, proclaimed it to be a box office bloodbath and Avatar to a flop. So they're going to keep keep saying That's that. That's true. I, but it's I, nice when you have data, right? It's like when you're arguing yeah. with somebody and they try to make it all emotional. And sure, you can argue all day about opinions. That's what opinions are. But you can't argue data. It's yeah. just fact. But there's more data to come, right? Like we're, we're talking about next weekend and, and we I think we all agree that Little Mermaid could run into some trouble, some choppy waters. Oh, uh, you, oh, <laughs> see what I did there? You know, you, you dangerous that. fathoms below. <laughs> you guys say that, but you guys haven't taken advantage of Memorial Day. Oh, <laughs> come on, Ray. come on! It's a memorial. I can't Mur-mor- even say. It. Can't even say it. <laughs> Can I? You know what? Let me take advantage. I, I mentioned this on the the spoiler discussion, but let me say it here. The one of the there's a couple of things that I would have changed about this movie. I would have made it a bit shorter. I think the entire shark scene, which I know is in the original animated thing, but it served no purpose to the movie and it didn't need to be there. I think that should have been cut out. Here's. Though I think when I really thought about it, here's the part of the movie that I I dislike the most, and it's going to be weird. They introduced a couple of new songs in in this version, right? And I like every one of the new songs. And and I'm with you. Scuttlebutt is a delightful song. I thought it was charming and fun and everything that it should be. Now, Prince Eric has a song in this movie. And I like the song. I do. It's a good song. 
But here's the problem. I'm watching a movie. I'm not listening to an album. When you look at something like Under the Sea, it's a great song, but visually they make it very stimulating. Like the CG and the choreography when when Ariel is singing under Sebastian is singing it, Ariel joins along in Under the Sea. They have all the, the sea life and there's choreography and the cinematography of it. It is visually stimulating as well as being a good song. Scuttlebutt was fun. Not only is the song fun, but the way, you know, they're prancing around the room and the way that it's shot, it's visually stimulating. Eric just standing on rocks and looking oh, like off in the distance didn't my, do it for you? Here's, here's, this is basically what they did. So Eric is singing, he's, okay, stand on this rock and look at the ocean and sing this line without moving. Maybe spread your arms out. And he starts singing, ah, la, la, la. Okay, now, now. I like that that sounded like Kidnap Mr. Santa Claus. <laughs> now, Eric, when you're done that line, run from point A to point B and then stand there and look out of the ocean while spreading your arms. Your arms. La, la, la. And then move to another, run up these stairs, stop and look out at the ocean again and continue to sing. And it's just like, this is so visually boring. <laughs> it's a very visually boring number. That's fair. It's a very musical theater moment where if he was on stage with a very, very bare set, it would be so compelling because you're only listening to his voice, right? right? You're only fixated on what he's singing and saying. But I can understand that criticism. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at what a good job they did. You look at Poor Unfortunate Souls, Under the Sea, Scuttlebutt. They made sure that these songs, or even Kiss the Girl, it was all very visually drew you in, right? And then they had Prince Eric's song, which was stand there, look at the ocean and sing la la la. And it, yeah, I could have <laughs> done without that. Hey, whatever. It was a good opening weekend. Let's see what kind of legs it's able to pull off. Okay. With that down, guys, we've been talking about there's, uh, there's a little movie coming out in the next number of weeks called The Flash, a movie that was literally announced almost 10 years ago. And now it's finally coming out. It was announced the week after the Flash TV series debuted. And it's now going to come out after the Flash TV series wrapped up its ninth season. It's weird when you put it in perspective that way. Uh, but we've been having some people ask, and we've been talking a little bit about, what movies do you need to watch to be able to go in and watch this new Flash movie? And that is the subject of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. If you guys have a question you'd like for us to address on our channel, either on our podcast or on our YouTube channel, go ahead and call our Mint Mobile hotline anytime 24-7 at 951-268-4259. We answer some of them on the YouTube channel. We answer one of them every day here on the podcast. So let's check out this one that's asking about The Flash. Hi there, John Crew. My name is Sean. I'm calling from Lincoln, Nebraska, and I have a question for you guys. With the Flash movie coming up here soon, do you think it's wise for people to sit down and watch the first two Keaton Batman movies, the four-hour cut of Justice League, before they go in and see this movie? What are your thoughts about this? Do you think they should or shouldn't? So I just want to hear your thoughts and bring on the filthy. Hey, Sean, thanks a lot for calling that in. You know, we, we've talked about this before a little bit about prerequisites about going in to see movies, right? We're always like, whenever there's a new Marvel movie, it's like, okay, which Marvel movies out of the 30 plus 
do you need to watch before watching this one? And that is a that's a reasonable question here to ask about Flash as well. It's like, you know, the DCU now is, has got a little bit of an extensive library to it. So you got this Flash movie coming out. Which movies do you need to see? And I think before, we kind of brushed up on this question before, and I think before I said, you know, probably watch one either version of the, of Justice League. I mean, either one will serve the purpose, whether it's the theatrical version, the HBO version, whichever, they'll both serve the purpose. Um, maybe you need to go back and watch one of the Michael Keaton Batman movies or something like that. But I'll tell you what, Sean, and I, I'm glad you brought it up and you're asking this because really upon further reflection, one of the best things about this movie, and this movie is great, this Flash movie is great. Um, I, I, again, to me, it is now my second favorite DCEU film, only behind a film that I consider to be one of the greatest comic book movies ever made, which is Man of Steel. And I don't care whether you agree with me on that or not. I don't give two shits. I think it's one of the greatest comic book films of all time. So you can have your opinion. I'll have mine. But you know how high of a esteem I have for Man of Steel. And to me, this Flash movie is only second to that. It's fantastic. I love it. But one of the things that makes it so good, I believe, now that I've thought about it a little bit, is the fact that you don't have to have ever watched a single damn thing to go oh. in and enjoy this movie. If you never knew Michael Keaton was Batman before, you'll be just fine. Like, Keaton is so good in this movie you just know that Flash is meeting an older Batman. I mean, if you knew, if you had seen the Tim Burton Batman films with Michael Keaton, you'll have a deeper appreciation. There'll be a nostalgia factor, yes. But if you never even knew Michael Keaton was Batman before, you are still gonna thoroughly enjoy this movie and you won't feel lost on any point. If you never saw either version of Justice League, you might get a little bit more nuance and a little bit more appreciation for a couple of things had you seen them. But if you have not, you're not going to be lost at all. What Andy Muschietti did with this film and the way he structured it is the way Kevin Feige used to structure his Marvel films, where any single Marvel movie used to be a viable entry point for new fans, which is why Marvel became the biggest box office successful franchise in the history of Hollywood. Because you never had to watch any of the other movies. Any new Marvel movie that came out, you used to be able to just go in, totally valid entry point. It's not that way anymore with Marvel. But it's somehow Andy Muschietti found a way to make this a totally viable entry point into the world of DC movies, even if you've never seen another single one. And that is, to me, is one of the brilliant parts about it. Now, Ray, you saw this movie with me, like after watching it, did you ever feel like you got to have watched this or you got to have watched that in order to watch this? Or do you think it, you can just go in cold? Do you think it would be helpful to watch something else? I don't know. What did you think about it? The only one I could think of really is Man of Steel, just because there's like a, a There's small, a lot of Man of Steel references and there's like in there. A small, yeah, it, but it's not important. I think this movie stands on its own very well. I, I'm actually super excited to see it again, maybe even a third time too. It's just, it's just well done. I really, it's still in my head. Guardians is still in my head. Both those movies are still in my head. Every time I wake up, I think about something that's related to one of those two. Like, um, you know, just like if this car cuts me off this morning coming here, I was like, man, the Flash could probably 
run up to that car and <laughs> like you know something like that. It's just Ray like, is thinking dark thoughts. These two, the Flash and Guardians, are just the big movies to me right now. So like, I hope everyone sees it. I mean, who knows? Who knows how how everyone's gonna what everyone's gonna think about it? But I loved it. It's my favorite DC movie of all time. So whoa. What do you think, Chris? I mean, uh, unfortunately, well, we were at CinemaCon. You could yeah. have seen it. I, but instead, but I was had, teaching. You had teaching responsibilities. And my, my little babies were wonderful. But your husband told you all about it. Yes, Logan acted everything out for me. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so I got a great interpretation of it. Uh, he said that Man of Steel was very important to watch. But also, I know for you guys who saw it at CinemaCon, there is a, a bat cameo that has been removed from that screening because Andy Muschietti still wanted to keep something secret. So there is still something you all did not see at CinemaCon. Yeah. So with that in mind, if you are somebody who has never seen a Batman movie for some reason. <laughs> but you're going to see but, this. But you're going to see this and you watch and you listen to this show. I would maybe review some of these Batman movies. I would maybe go back and see some things and that way maybe that cameo, whatever it's going to be. Really pops for you. Can but I just again, say you- but we're talking about a moment, right? Like it's it, if if you had never seen another Batman film, first it's of all, not you've never experienced your ability nipples, to watch so. this movie and follow it, right? Yeah. Like so <laughs> Well I, no, but just for that extra appreciation, especially because sure. like, sure, you don't need to see the Michael Keaton Batman movies, but you should. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, do yourself. Especially a favor. the second one. Oh my gosh, Danny DeVito is the penguin. Whew, now I, I will agree with Ray that I, I think I still believe, you know, upon reflection, I don't think you need to watch anything else. But if you were to rephrase the question and say, let's say I was going to watch one movie before watching The Flash, which one movie would that be? If that were the question, I concur with Ray. It's Man of Steel. Because Man of Steel has more to do with the DNA of this movie. You can see that in the trailers. Yeah, you can totally see it in the trailer. I still don't think it's, I think the movie tells you enough Right. That you don't even have to see Man of Steel, but if there was going to be one, I I think it's Man of Steel. I love that you don't have to see Justice League. Right, <laughs> and, and we never got like a real pro- my help. profile <laughs> on Flash, so it's just like an introduction of this character, which is great. So it, it it could stand on its own. Like I mean, whatever you watch, it'll be helpful, but it's not important. All right, so uh, that uh, that's our thoughts on that, guys. Uh, it, there you go. I I personally don't think you have to watch any, but if it's there's going to be one, maybe make it Man of Steel. But you know what? I think it's the best DC <laughs> movie ever, so you should be watching Man of Steel anyway. Make mine Man of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey guys, we're got a few more topics to talk about here, but before we get to those, we're going to take a moment and thank one of the sponsors of the John Campy Show podcast here today, our friends at ExpressVPN. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, ExpressVPN. Guys, it is 2023, and online privacy and security has never been more important. You see, every device, phones, computers, tablets, has a unique IP address, which is like an internet phone number and reveals personal information about you. It's super simple for somebody online who knows what they're doing to find your IP address if you've ever clicked on a sketchy link or opened an email from somebody you don't know. Your IP address could become exposed. Now, that's where ExpressVPN has your back. ExpressVPN is an 
an app that hides your real IP address and replaces it with a dummy one, keeping you safe and private. And you don't have to be some kind of techie to use a VPN. Guys, it is so easy to use. Just download the ExpressVPN app on your phone or computer, tap one button to turn it on, and you're protected. And if you like your streaming entertainment, here's the coolest part. They let you choose what country you want your IP address to look like it's coming from. This is incredibly useful because services like Netflix and Disney Plus give you different shows depending on what country you're in. So secure your family's online activity and unlock tons of new shows by visiting expressvpn.com slash campia. Use my link and you can get three extra months free. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash campia. Go to expressvpn.com slash campia to learn more. And thank you to our friends at ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, guys, with that down, let's get into this. You know, Quentin Tarantino, uh, aside from being one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, he is uh, not shy <laughs> to, to say, to uh, share his opinion. Him and Brian Cox should form a little club <laughs> about guys who don't care about sharing their opinions about anything at any time. Well, you know, Quentin Tarantino, he's got a new movie that he's going to be working that he's working on now called The Movie Critic, which actually sounds great. And he is still insisting that this is going to be his last movie. Now, I believe he believes that, <laughs> but I don't believe it. Like, I think in his mind, he really thinks this is going to be his last movie. But Quentin Tarantino is a creative genius. And I don't care what he says. Oh, maybe I'll dabble in television. Maybe I'll write this. I don't care what he says. There will be another Quentin Tarantino movie. I believe that wholeheartedly. But still, you know, anyway, he was just doing an interview. And I'm going to be reading some stuff here from an article in uh, the the wonderful uh, outlet IndieWire where he basically talks a lot about now's the time to get out because movies are getting devalued. And mostly a lot of the things he talks about is streaming and movies. And, and when movies go on streaming to Quentin Tarantino, they're not real movies. Now this is kind of what he said and talking about, he's making his new movie, the movie credits going to be making it with Sony and why he said this, I'm, I'm going to read this a little bit at length. because I think it's so well, well-written and I think it's well thought out by Quentin Tarantino. He says this, I'm probably going to be doing the movie critic with Sony because they're the last game in town that is just absolutely, utterly committed to the theatrical experience, he said. It's not about feeding their streaming network. They are committed to theatrical experiences. They judge success by asses in the seats. And they judge success by the movies entering the zeitgeist, not just making a big expensive movie and then putting it on your stupid streaming platform. No one even knows it's there. Now, Tarantino offered a more specific example of this phenomenon, calling out Netflix for making expensive blockbusters with Ryan Reynolds. And he specifically is talking about Red Notice, The Adam Project. And he says they made no real cultural impact after being unceremoniously released on the streaming service. This is what Tarantino said. He says, I mean, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but apparently for Netflix, Ryan Reynolds has made $50 million on this movie and $50 million on that movie and $50 million on the next movie. He said, I don't know what any of those movies are. I've never seen them. Have you? I haven't ever talked to Ryan Reynolds' agent, but his agent is like, well, we made $50 million. Well, good for him that he's making so much money, but those movies don't exist in the zeitgeist. It's almost like they don't even exist. Wow. It's almost like they don't even exist. Wow. Yeah, but I also feel like that's low-hanging fruit. Well, maybe a little bit. 
But the point that I think he's making about in its entirety, because remember, he's talking in context about, yeah, this is I'm retiring and here's why. Now's the time to get out because too many of these movies aren't considered important anymore, he thinks. By making these movies and dumping them on things like streaming services and you don't have the theatrical experience, if you don't have the theatrical experience, Quentin Tarantino says, you're not a real, you're not a real movie. You're not entering the zeitgeist. You're not culturally important. And great movies should be culturally important. And to a degree, you know I agree with them. I don't necessarily think that movies that go to streaming aren't real movies. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't I wouldn't go that far with him over that cliff. But he's not wrong in saying, listen, when you think about the great movies, you don't think about the ones that went to streaming first. They're not the ones that make lasting impact. And he's not wrong. And listen, I you guys know I love Ryan Reynolds. I love this guy. Good Canadian kid. And full disclosure, he's responsible for about, I don't know, well, a lot of money that we make here on the show because Mint Mobile is our primary sponsor. And a lot so, of gin that we drink. And a lot we, of the I gin mean, that we drink around here is thank you, <laughs> Aviation Gin, which Ryan sold. Ryan, Ryan sold off his interest in that. Aww. But still, still, Ryan, you can still send me another case. Yes, please. You, you rich bastard. You're making $50 million a project. Fucking send me another case of gin. <laughs> Not that we don't appreciate the other cases you've sent. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, we, Thank you. just missing now. I mean, so <laughs> I, I mean, listen, I, I clearly adore and I have some stake in this because Ryan Reynolds gives us money. Red Notice is a terrible movie. What? It's a terrible movie. Hence the low-hanging fruit. Right. It was terrible. And it's and, and it's got another one of my favorite movie stars in it with uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? But that was a terrible movie. Now, listen, I, I mean, I like the Adam Project. I did. I was I was surprised that I enjoyed the Adam. I don't think it was great, but I enjoyed that movie. That that was a lot of fun. But to Quentin Tarantino's point, and I know he wasn't specifically trying to pick on Ryan Reynolds, but it's like those movies because he's only talking about the ones that Reynolds puts on Netflix. But look at Six Underground. Do you ever, some of you had to scratch your head for a second and say, oh yeah, which movie was that again? Yeah, that's the one that went straight to Netflix. Also, not a good movie. He did that one with uh, Michael Bay. Uh, <laughs> nobody, what, what was the laugh for? I just mentioned Michael's name. I don't know. It's just like a thing now. <laughs> it's like a little thing that it happened. Michael Bay. Um, <laughs> I think we all know why we're laughing. <laughs> but but he's, he's not wrong. Because you know what? Movie, like a lot of people I know still talk about, Free Guy. That movie's great. And more importantly, it was in theaters and it made an impact. Deadpool, in theaters, makes an impact. Uh, I almost said everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, definitely, maybe. Great movie. Made an impact. Oh, I still think about movie. that movie a lot. You know, the movies that he makes theatrically make an impact. I will say as a positive, he went from Six Underground to Red Notice to Adam Project. So it is kind of going up, though, okay, if you look so, at it. So maybe there's a trajectory. Yeah. And let's not forget Turning Red, which was probably the best animated film of that year. You Should know, have won the it came out streaming for first. Film. It came out yeah. Oh, it wasn't made for streaming is what we're talking yeah, about. But it, yeah, but... Oh, okay, yeah. never mind. So we just got dumped on streaming. Yeah, right. But again, Turning Red, that is a movie, to Quentin Tarantino's point, Turning Red is a movie that we should all still be talking about. But it got dumped on streaming and it never got its theatrical run. 
And people never got to experience that magical experience of being in a movie theater with hundreds of other people, laughing together, sharing together, all that kind of stuff. And it never had that. And there, you know, a lot of people don't even talk about the movie anymore, despite the fact that it was the best animated, in my opinion, the best animated movie that came out that year. So while I don't agree with Tarantino to the extreme that he's going, like he's borderline suggesting here that if a movie goes straight streaming, it's not even a real movie. I, I, I don't go that far. But I get the point that he's making. And I love the, he's right. Sony is the kind of the last game in town that's saying, hey, we, we want movies to be in theaters. That's where we make our money. Anyway, Chris, you've heard Tarantino's comments here. Has he gone too far? Is he bang on the money? I don't know. What do you think about what he said? It's definitely par for the course for Tarantino. If there, I don't think there is a bigger physical media stand in this world Maybe Robert Burnett, but Quentin Tarantino loves physical media so much so that he owns the new Beverly Cinema yeah. where they only play 35 millimeter. And that's part of it. You know, it's 35 millimeter because it's at the new Beverly is part of their whole thing. Yep. No he, digital projector in none there. None at all. Everything is there. He actually curates most of the, the viewings there as well. Still, he's owned it since 2007, I believe. So he loves film. And when I say he loves film, he loves film, tangible film. Yeah, like actual stretch it out and hold it up to a light bulb mm. film. Exactly. So this all makes sense for him. Now, if this truly is his final film, I think these are fine comments to make. It's his opinion. <laughs> and he's talking about how he feels about this and where he wants to have his films go and everything. And he'll still be entitled to that opinion should he continue to make movies. However, this business is changing. And I don't know if bashing everyone's streaming service is the right move business-wise. I absolutely understand it from a filmmaker's perspective of wanting that tangibility, of wanting to have your thing actually physically made and not dumped on streaming. He makes great points. A lot of the movies that go there aren't things that stand the test of time, mostly because they can go away at any moment and we'll never see them again. So I understand it. But is it the smartest, savviest thing to say? Perhaps not. But Tarantino's never really given a shit about what anyone thinks. He's always done his own thing. You know why? Because he's Tarantino. Because he's Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> he can he can do kind of whatever he wants <laughs> when it comes to you, making movies. You make a great point. You do. But let's say Quentin Tarantino comes out tomorrow and says, oh, yeah, I uh, met with the uh, CEO of Peacock. Yeah, his wife's a whore. Do you think the CEO of Peacock is not going to sign the next Quentin Tarantino movie if it becomes available to him? He's also going to sign some divorce papers. (laughs) Goodness gracious. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) because it's Quentin Tarantino, they will still bid on the next Quentin Tarantino movie. 99% of the other people in the world can't get away with it. Quentin Mm -hmm. Tarantino might be the only guy who can. Sure. Maybe that's why he knows he can say whatever And I'm sure, though, he'd also go to great lengths to not have something go on something like Peacock. Yeah, that's true. But we'll see how this to pans out. To be fair, though, okay, I understand what he's saying, but he also used Netflix for his Hateful Eight, like, chop up. Yeah. And he couldn't have done that in theaters. So exactly. Like, but, but he's not saying you can't have a streaming life after, after. your theatrical experience, yes. right? He's not, He's not like, shitting on streaming services straight just too. for existing and, and doing what they yeah, do. Yeah, straight too. He's just talking about specifically when movies get taken and never get that theatrical experience and they're just when, dumped on stream. Yeah. And frankly, he's not wrong. Are there things that shouldn't have gone straight to streaming? Absolutely. Palm Springs comes to mind. That movie is yeah, that phenomenal. Was really good. It was so, so good. And I think it would have had a very, very different reception if it had gotten to be in theaters. 
But most of the time, when something goes straight to streaming, it is because it's kind of dookie. Yeah. <laughs> Do you I think? Go oh, ahead. Sorry, go, ahead. Go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. All right. Well, I will say so that polite. as the pandemic sunsets behind us. Exactly. We're seeing more and more the studios are coming out and saying, well, we make more money at least doing a theatrical run first. Yeah. And also you have the Academy making more stringent rules of how long they can be in theaters. So uh, if you want to have a film taken seriously, then theater is the place. To start. Well, and there's, there's another mathematical equation that they're realizing, too. Will this movie do better on streaming if, A, we put it direct to streaming, or will it do better on streaming if, B— we give it a full theatrical run first and then put it on streaming. The studios are now realizing that if you want your movie to truly do great on streaming, put it in theaters first. When you put it in theaters first, it's it's no longer a question. It's mathematically demonstrable. The movies that get theatrical runs first do better on streaming than the movies that go straight to streaming. A am I wrong for thinking there could be some benefit in, in releasing movies on streaming only like what about those directors that need a shot or or like the smaller film studios that don't have enough money isn't there somewhere that where that could lead to uh you know sure. success for those out for those it depends on what your definition of success is. like 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 you know because people the studios don't want to spend all their money on like this person's idea but Netflix will and what if it turns out being great and then they get that yeah it's a that nice, stone they need to get to the next pad. level you know what I mean so there could be sure a but here's bit. the problem though Whereas Netflix has really been traditionally very, very good with their television series that they make for Netflix, I I do not I I say this with true intent. I don't think there's any hyperbole here. Ninety-seven out of a hundred Netflix original movies that go straight to Netflix and never had a theatrical run are absolute garbage. Mm. I mean, that's that. It, I mean, it harkens back to the days of when a movie was a straight to straight to DVD movie that now a lot of those movies back in the day that were straight to DVD. That's the only way they could get made is if they're doing a straight to DVD granted. But we as consumers, whether it's fair or unfair, we all knew in our heads that if a movie is straight to DVD, it's most likely crap. Not always. Not always. Sometimes there's a diamond in the rough. Mm -hmm. But most of the like time, like Aladdin 2, Return of the Jafar. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Most of, I'm glad you picked <laughs> up on the Aladdin video. reference. Straight to streaming. Most of the time, though, it was true. Like I remember going through Blockbuster and seeing a DVD on the shelf. It's like, oh my god, this movie has Bruce Willis and Henry Cavill in it. Wow, I love these guys. Look it up. I believe that's a real movie. Oh dang! But it was straight to DVD, and because it had those two, I watched it and. There's a reason it went straight to DVD. That's what now, that's the new straight to Netflix model when it comes to movies. Well, at yeah. least now you don't have to spend $15, $20 to actually check a movie out. It's right there if you have the service. Yeah, no, exactly. So, it is, but more people would have checked it out if it had a theatrical run first. Yeah, I think even if you launch an indie film, you still get that Lamley's run for an indie film. Yeah. And then you transfer over. Yeah, I mean, it can work. It's just... It's such a small percentage of the time that it does that it's questionable. All right. That's enough about that. Quentin, you keep being Quentin. <laughs> All right. Let's 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 move on to this, shall we? Um, I was, I think it's fair to say, I was completely shocked when they announced at Star Wars Celebration that a new Star Wars movie featuring Daisy Ridley's Rey was coming out. 
that they were working on that. Now, whether or not it actually happens is anybody's guess, but they at least said they're working on it. And the reason I was stunned and shocked by this is because I 100% for sure would have bet the barn that they would never go back to the primary characters of the sequels, whether it's Ray, Finn, Poe, you know, whoever. I just never thought they would go back there because those films represent a very, very, very divisive time in the Star Wars fandom. Not so much the first. I thought The Force Awakens was a terrific movie. Most people did. If you look at audience ratings, critic, all that kind of stuff, most people thought The Force Awakens was terrific. But the fact that they actually didn't have a plan started to catch up with their asses and then you ended up with The Rise of Skywalker, which was, ugh, I don't even want to go there. But I never would have thought, I would have bet $1,000 they would not do a Ray movie after all that. And yet, I would be $1,000 poorer because they announced they were, which I'm still shocked that they're doing, but okay, let's see. Hopefully it's good. I like Daisy Ridley very much, by the way. I, I'll i go see her in anything. That's great, but I just it's weird that they're making this decision. Anyway, one of the big questions that came up afterwards was, does this open the door for Mark Hamill to return as Force Ghost Luke? And a lot of people, some some outlets, even the smaller Gus. Gus's gas station movie reviews.fart kind of sites, but reported that Mark Hamill was indeed going to come back as a force ghost. He would be like a mentor to uh, Daisy's character and all that kind of stuff. Well, the Hollywood reporter was actually speaking to Mark Hamill. He's got a movie out right now called The Machine. And they asked him about some of those whispers and whether or not he would indeed be appearing. And Mark Hamill says, nope. Uh, this is uh, written in the folks over screen. It said, speaking to the Hollywood reporter, Mark Hamill has noted that he doesn't consider that it's likely that he'll return to the series. Asked whether or not he plans to play Force Ghost Luke Skywalker again, he gave a customarily blunt response. No, I don't have any expectations of that happening. It seems Mark Hamill at least believes the bottom, uh, the baton, I should say, has been handed over to a new generation of stars. So Mark Hamill is saying, uh, yeah, no, I do not expect that I would be appearing in future movies. Now, he didn't come out and say, no way in hell will I do that. He didn't say, I would refuse to do that. He just said, I don't expect that that's what they'll be doing. And look, Luke Skywalker is my all-time favorite Star Wars character. But it is time for Star Wars to move on beyond the Skywalker storyline. It's, it's, it's time to move past. He had his, just like America moved past the era of the Kennedys, it is time for Star Wars to move past the era of the Skywalkers. And... Now, don't get me wrong, if they were to announce Mark Hamill was going to be in the next one, of course that would pique my interest. I'm not going to, you know, lie about that. I, I would, but intellectually thinking, I, I think it is time for him to move on and that he isn't going to be in there. So, I don't know, Chris, we got Ray coming in there. With doing a movie about Ray, that does very much open a narrative door that you could very easily have a Force Ghost loop there. So that's possible. Are you surprised to hear Mark Hamill say that he wouldn't be there or does not not surprise you? What do you think? I'm not. I believe these two sons have set on Luke. <laughs> I think yeah, we're done. Well, right? Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> we saw him and Leia waving to Ray. It's her story now. His is done. His has concluded. And I think that Mark Hamill gets that and respects that. And he's ready to move on, too. He does so much fun Star Wars adjacent things. But I think his time physically being part of these movies 
is probably done. And sure, he can pop in it as a force ghost. And that's an easy thing for him to do, too, is just have a nice day where he gets to be on a soundstage in front of a green screen, pop yeah. in, pop out. But I don't think he's going to have a, a very large role moving forward because narratively, I don't feel like we keep going back to that mine. You know, we don't keep going back there. The Star Wars universe works really, really well when we expand it and when we look to other things to navigate through this vast and infinite universe that's been created. When we, and I've said it before, when we come back and we take this Dickensian approach where everyone's connected to everybody and everyone's secretly related to people and there's a secret grandpa and all kinds of stuff, it gets convoluted and not as fun. Secret grandpa. Secret grandpa. That's, that's what Palpatine is. He's secret grandpa. He's secret grandpa. Forever. Yep. It's much more interesting to me when we actually explore this galaxy that's far, far away that has thousands of other inhabitants. Why we keep coming back to the Skywalkers, I'm not sure. They're they're very important to the story that's been told so far, but there's definitely other people who are bright stars there as well. Ray, you believe it? Do you, do you think Mark Hamill's going to, do you think Luke's going to be back or do you think, nah, he's telling the truth, they're just going to move on from him? I don't know who that is. What is Star Wars? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I feel differently about this Ray movie. Like I did, I do... I am interested in watching it. I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm I'm probably really not into the lore as much, but I don't think I think he means what he says. No amount of money. I think he's he's done with it. I think he he was very unhappy during the filming of the Last Jedi. I believe was it the second. I one? know. No, there were some people reported that. But oh, really? Yeah. No, nah, he. Oh, wasn't. and I went with it too. I fell for that bait. Wow. Okay. Well. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a part of it. I think he should move on, and I, I think Star Wars should move on from Luke, too. I, I agree with you. I mean, there's a there's a one in two chance he's telling the truth because there's a one in two chance this movie's never going to be made. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, look, that's that's the other elephant in the room, right? I mean, look, the reality is that it's Tuesday. That means three Star Wars movies are going to be announced, and four of them are going to be canceled. Uh, John, how does that math end up? That's <laughs> my up, point. <laughs> it ends up on Tatooine, obviously. <laughs> it is. Where everything ends up. <laughs> Every, it's, it's just buried in the sands of Tatooine. The biggest desert in the world. And so, uh, you know, we'll see how that all kind of shakes out. All right. Guys, with that down, let's, let's do one more thing here. And uh, that is this. The best show on television. The best. Is Last of Us. That's the best <laughs> show on television. <laughs> I mean, I love Yellowstone. I love Succession. I love Shrinking. I love Ted Lasso. Yellow Jackets is great, but the best show on TV is The Last of Us. I, I just, I every single week, I was left with my jaw open with how good and the quality of the show, all that kind of stuff. Also, one of my great frustrations with the current era of streaming TV is the fact that we get less than half the episodes that we used to get. Oh, and it takes three times as long for us to get. I remember when a TV show would come out, have 22 episodes, and just like clockwork, after the last episode ended, about four months later, a brand new season would start. Every year, 22 episodes, no problem. Today, four episodes, and we need seven years to get the next season ready. It's, it's a frustrating part for me. So as much as I love The Last of Us, the fact that there, we're not going to get season two in 2023, which is fine. I understand that. We're not going to get it in 2024. We're probably not getting it till 2025. And there's a very real possibility we may not get it till 2026 oh, for season two. That's terrible. Don't now, one of the executives at HBO was, was doing an interview and talking about the fact that right now they were aiming to have a season two of Last of Us in 2025. 
Sigh. Okay. 2025. That sucks. We got two years to wait until the next eight episodes, 10 episodes, 12 episodes, whatever. All right. Fine. It's going to be awesome though. The problem is there is no work being done Mm -hmm. on The Last of Us season two right now because there is a little thing called the WGA strike. And Last of Us Season 2 is still in its developmental stage, which means no work can be done. The pencils are down. Laptops are closed. Keyboards have fallen silent. There's no writing going on, no creative work. And that's fine until another month passes and there's still been no work. And then three months pass and there's still been no work. There are some whispers going on right now that this thing could potentially last as much as six months. That'll be a half a year of no development on this. And if that's the case, there's a very real possibility here that this movie, when did this come out? January or end of December? I can't remember. I believe January. We could be waiting until 2026. Time to refamiliarize myself with making a murderer. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Time for some reality television, everybody. I hope you enjoy of... Who gets to date the new former murderer bachelor? I mean, whatever. You guys start crossing these things over. Yeah. Cross-pollinate. Um, pollinate. I, the series called The One That Got Away, and it's about serial killers <laughs> and bachelorettes. The one he couldn't catch. Billions. That is going to make billions. Call me, ABC. <laughs> call oh, well, me, I already call me, ABC. <laughs> so, I mean, we're facing a, a very real uh, it, minimum late 2025. Quite possibly 2026. And not only this, this could be happening to House of the Dragon season two, Severance season two, Lord of the Rings season two. There's a bunch of season twos well, I'm looking se- forward yeah, to. Severance already were shot okay, and recorded. Okay. We're just waiting for that. That's, that's coming you. out soon. Thank you. I think Thank they you. said House of the Dragon was already written. Maybe. But then you have the spinoff Snow. We don't know where that's at. Yeah, well, yeah. that's well, all development, all that kind of stuff is stopped. But yeah. my immediate concern is Last of Us. Yeah. yeah. So, uh there's a lot of shows in Ted, Ted Lasso knew what was up. He's like, I'm getting out before. Yeah, yeah Ted Lasso, we're wrapping up. By the way, cannot wait to watch the series finale mm-hmm. uh, this week. But I, here's my fear, Chris. My fear is that all the momentum that this show had going is going to be dissipated. It's going to be, it's just going to evaporate. And it's going to be like starting from square one again. Whereas instead of being like the most anticipated season two return, blah, 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 you put, you add another year and a half on a waiting for that. Now we're in late 2025. We're in 2026. I just fear that's going to lose a lot of the momentum and the show will probably still be great, but it's not going to get the viewership it deserves. I, I don't know. What do you think about all this? I mean, it'll make the time jump much more plausible. <laughs> that's true. We'll just, yes. just truck right along here and I'll go, oh, okay. Yeah. Ellie's the right age now. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it She's could, gonna have two kids. Just, <laughs> it could lose some of the momentum the show has, but I think one award season is going to reignite all of this because there is no way that Pedro Pascal does not get an Emmy nomination for this. Oh, Same for thing with sure Bill Ramsey. I think she's going to get an Emmy nomination as well. Golden Globe nominations, you name it. They're going to get them. SAG Award nominations. They're going to be all in the mix for these things. Ron Swanson's going to get uh, an Emmy nomination for this Oh my gosh, well. absolutely. Nick Offerman is fabulous in this. So I do think that'll kind of continue to hold everyone's interest. Obviously, there's a lot of love for this game. The sequel had some mixed reviews, had some mixed 
feelings on it. Also shattered records to the number of awards, awards that it won. Exactly. And and things like so that. I do think there's still going to be a really big audience for it. It's just one of those things where are we going to get burnt out? Because honestly, one of the things that, that the media loves to do is we find a new sweetheart and we cling on to them and we just put them everywhere. And this is, we talked about this earlier, I think last week, people's problem with Anne Hathaway. I think that happened with Anne Hathaway. I think that happened with Jennifer Lawrence. Of we have this person everywhere and in everything, and we're constantly interviewing him, and we want sound clips of him, and we love him and love him and love him, and then all of a sudden we just don't. Right. And it becomes the cool new thing to hate on them. And while I don't think Pedro Pascal will have that same experience, I do worry with the the rabid media consumption of Pedro Pascal, especially the constant daddy situation. Even in his Hollywood roundtable, his questions were about being seen as a daddy as opposed to some some great acting questions where it's, <laughs> if you Google your name, daddy comes up with five million different results. And he did his best to make it an acting question of, Aww. well, I play very daddy roles, like how I am to Grogu and how I am to Ellie. And also, I'm not a daddy and I'm not going to have kids. I think we get so focused on those things that then the media just kind of gets obsessed with celebrity over the actual substance of what they've created. And I'm hoping we don't get burnt out on that aspect, too. So I hope the show has some longevity. I hope people are willing to wait for it because it's going to be good. The first season was so good. I just know the second one will, too. I just hope that we don't over <laughs> oversaturate the market with trying to glorify celebrity and that we give this this material the time that it deserves to be made. What I really hope too is that when they do get rolling on getting season two developed, because they've already said that the second game is going to be broken into several seasons because yes. there's just way too much to cover. It's dense. I really, really hope this time they have the foresight to get seasons two and three written at the same time and shoot them back to back. Yeah. So we don't have to wait two and a half or three years. Lord of the Rings this shit, y'all. Just film everything all at once. That's what Sweet Tooth did. You're talking did. about the movies, the yes, Lord of the I Rings. Yes, I am. Yes. I am, not the series. But I don't understand why we don't do that already. Well, ultimately. I mean, I get it. I get it for a lot of them because, like... It's time and money. You, you Listen, it's a lot of money to, to do the first movie when you don't know how the first movie's going to do. And... If it's too late, if the first movie bombs too late, you've already spent the money to make the second one. I get it. But there are some exceptions when you know this is going to get made like Dune. I thought they should have shot Dune one and two back Absolutely. to back. So, I, yeah. So there's some stuff there for that. Anyway, guys, uh, that's our thoughts on that. I hate the thought that we might have to wait till 2026, maybe uh, to see a Last of Us season two. Whatever you guys think about this, I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right. Guys, with that down and out of the way, we're not going to move over and take some questions from our YouTube channel members. And before we get to those, though, we're going to take another break here and thank a couple more sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at Rocket Money and my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, Rocket Money. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitor your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want and don't even use. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press 
cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. My wife Ann and I moved out of Burbank two years ago and one of the first things I discovered when I loaded up Rocket Money was that I was still paying for a gym membership I haven't even been to in Burbank in two years. So stop throwing away your money. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to Rocket rocketmoney.com slash campia that's rocketmoney.com slash campia rocketmoney.com slash campia we want to thank a sponsor of this video mint mobile from the gas pump to the grocery store your utility bills and favorite streaming services inflation is everywhere seriously make it stop thankfully there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break it's mint mobile as the first company to sell premium wireless service online only mint mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just 15 dollars a month you guys know that ever since i switched to mint mobile i've been saving almost 70 percent a month over my old phone plan for people looking Looking for extra savings this year? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Rocket Money and, of course, Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that all down, let's go over and start taking those questions from our YouTube channel members who sent in some questions. We'll get through as many as we can here. So, Chris, what do we got up? Tainted Virtue says, hi, John and crew. My question is, can Flash really succeed financially to its potential with all the baggage it carries and a packed month of June with big releases before and after? Well, it all depends on your definition of potential. If you're saying, can it be a billion dollar film with all the baggage and all that kind of stuff? No, I don't believe it can. I hope I'm wrong because this movie, Andy Muschietti's movie, deserves to be a billion-dollar film. It absolutely does. But with all the DC baggage it has coming around, I mean, Black Adam and, and Shazam 2 were both like huge decrease in, in money. People aren't interested. All the nonsense that Ezra Miller has brought into the house that they didn't ask for. Um, I, no, it can't live up to its potential, but it can still be successful. All right, what's next? From a man, saw Fast 10 in 40X over the weekend, was my first time in a 40X theater, and it was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> we were pretty much being thrown around the theater and off the walls. <laughs> so much movement, literally a roller coaster. Can't believe there weren't any seatbelts. Hmm. Have you been to a 40X film? And if so, what was your experience like? I hate them. I hate them so much, and I keep having to go because my husband loves them. Oh, I've never been to one. Oh. Uh, but, but Ray, you and... My wife, Anne, and your sister, Olive, went to go it. Olive didn't like it at all. Yeah. Here's the problem with it. I loved every single part of Top Gun that it worked with for, but I think it's just they put, like, whatever sound is happening at the time, and the seat just goes with it. 
Because there's certain parts where it moved, it didn't need to. It just didn't make sense. Mm. But we're still moving. But all the parts where it needed to move like were great. Jumping right. out the the window the, like, of the, yeah. the house. We don't need we don't need it to be shaking during trailers either. It would shake during trailers for comedies coming out. Like oh, like, you know, it's just <laughs> it's just that. So they need to refine it a bit. Yeah, all someone right. needs to actually put the points where it needs to do certain things. All right, what's next? From Zeos, just watched Air, and I liked it a lot. Anytime Ben and Matt are together, I know I'll have a good time. Are there any awards that this movie will get? Thanks, y'all, and bring on the filthy. I mean, look, it's, just, it's way too early in the year. Like, um, I, I like if if the uh, Oscars were tomorrow, I think I think Air gets a Best Picture nomination. I think the movie it is now. Remember. Uh, Joyride and The Flash have not officially come out yet. So as of right now, Air is still my number one film of the year. I think it's still the best movie of the year until those other ones come out. Um, but other than that, it's really, really hard to say what else with, with everything else coming out. But again, if the Oscar tomorrow, I would say yes. All right, what's next? From Mighty Tank One, one film that caught me by surprise recently was Mitchell's vs. the Machines. Oh, yeah. Great humor with a ton of heart. Check it out if you haven't seen it. So good. It's you know I wrote an article today in our John Campia show newsletter, which by the way, guys, subscribe to our John Campia show newsletter. Get it to your inbox every morning. Um, I wrote an article on that one today about the joy of I can't remember exactly what I titled it. It's basically the joy of watching a movie than loving a movie that you thought was going to suck. Right? Mitchell's versus the Machines is one of those. It looked like a cheap Pixar wannabe. Uh, half-assed, half-well-done, just kind of forgettable streaming movie, right? It's pretty good. I actually really liked Mitchell's versus the Machines. And uh, yeah, that one was a, a really, really nice one. All right, what's next? From Gannon. Hey, crew, how did everyone feel about the live-action Jungle Book from 2016? Might be my favorite of the Disney live-action remakes. In a world of... Disney's live action remakes being hit and miss. Jungle Book is one of the hits to me. I John Favreau, I thought, did a, a great job mm -hmm. uh, with that one. I thought it's not my favorite one of their live action remixes, but yeah, in the world of hit and miss, I think that's a good one. I, I really yeah. enjoyed that one. All right, what's next? From Ulatan, I know it's next to impossible next to impossible fan idea, but could amalgam comic stories be the bridge for collaboration between the MCU and DCEU? No. Uh look, by the way, you don't need if MCU and DCU ever do want to do a crossover, you don't need anything. You can just make up anything you want. So it's not like you have to go back. Well, but how on earth would we do it? Uh, a magical imp named Foskasfar appears and says, I want to merge our worlds. And he merges them together. There, you've got your plan. I mean, really? So no, you don't need the amalgam or anything like that. You, you can just do it. All right. But they're not going to. All right, what's next? From James Wheeler. Hello, everyone. John, I'm curious, is Joyride still your favorite film of the year or has Flash passed it? You know, it's funny. Me and Ann got together with another couple last night and we were chatting over dinner and I said, I'm still not sure. I mean, Joyride and Flash are two completely different kinds of movies mm -hmm. and I love them both for two very different reasons. And I am still not 100% sure which one I like more. Those two are my favorite movies of the year so far. Um, if we're counting films that haven't come out in theaters yet, 
Those are my favorite movies of the year so far. I think I need to watch them both a second time before I determine which one I like more, but they're both awesome. I cannot wait for you guys to watch both of these films. All right, what's next? From Joe Hawkins, regarding Little Mermaid, would David Diggs, Sebastian, be eligible for a Best Supporting Actor nom at the Oscars next year? No. <sighs> eligible? <laughs> well, see, okay, so if we're talking eligible, like just plain up eligible like 500 other actors will be. I'm not sure. Does Chris, you're a member of the Screen Actors Guild. Mm -hmm. Is an actor who does voice work in a movie eligible to be nominated for an Oscar? Thus far, no. Both the SAG Awards and the Academy Awards do not celebrate voice actors whatsoever, mm. which is very frustrating. Oh, man. Because I, I pay dues to that union. To a degree, I, I do get it because I think the performance is, is two separate equally important things, your physical performance and what you're doing with your voice. I think, and I, and I wonder if a lot of the Oscar, the Academy and the Screen Actors Guild say that if you're missing half of the equation, you can't be considered for best actor of the year if you're only doing half the job. I mean, I, I'm not I'm just saying, I wonder if that's their mentality. I can understand that. We're breathing life. We're the third dimension in a two-dimensional medium, typically. And it is a full body thing. My my bigger issue is mostly with SAG. Of If I pay dues to you, I would like you to celebrate the work that you get a commission off of. Why doesn't SAG have a category for best voice performance? That's a great question. Like, I would be- all Fran Drescher, you answer that right now, Fran. <laughs> Fran. Fran, yeah, come I, on. Because come I'm on, often Fran. kind of resistant towards, like, most people want to come up with new categories, and most of the time I think there's good reasons why you wouldn't. But considering how much vocal work is being done, not just in animated movies, but now you have a lot of movies that have CGI characters that mm -hmm. are live-action movies and stuff like that. I mean, even just go back to Scarlett Johansson's uh, performance in Her, Her, right? Yeah. Or- um, uh, Andy Circus's uh, performance in the in the um, uh, Apes movies, mm -hmm. right? I, or in Lord of the Rings. Or in Lord. He of the tried to argue that one. Where he's like, "That's my spit. You can see my <laughs> spit in the movie." I just wonder if there shouldn't be a category for vocal performance. Mm -hmm. Robin Williams did get an honorary Oscar for his work as the genie in Aladdin, but that's basically as far as we've gotten so far. Yeah. So no, you're not going to see David Diggs. And, and by the way, David Diggs is great in this movie. Yes. I, I wouldn't say it's Oscar worthy, but Same. yeah. All right, let's take one more. What's next? From Jaden Voss. Are you guys excited for the live action How to Train Your Dragon movie coming out sometime next year? I, I would be lying to you if I said I was. I love the How to Train Your Dragons movies. I am totally open to the idea of doing a live. I think that could be really great. I'm going to have to see something before I get too terribly excited, though, to be honest with you. I, I don't know. What about you, Chris? you think about I, that? I wasn't aware that there was going to be a live action oh, yeah. Training Dragon. We covered it on the John Camp. Was I, was I here? Right. Was I here? Yeah. I don't remember that. That uh, could be fun. Yeah, but like I, I need to see it. Yeah. I need to see it. All right, guys, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you to everybody who sent in those questions. We got through as many as we could. We'll do so again tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. We're awfully glad that you decided to make this show part of your day. Hey, guys, don't forget, if you're listening to this show on the YouTube version we put, put up, make sure you guys go and subscribe to this show on your favorite podcasting app of choice. And hey, if you're listening to the show on your podcast, don't forget that we have a YouTube channel. Where we put up a lot of videos every single day. And we hope you go and check those out as well. So for everybody in the room, Rayora, mm -hmm. Jonathan Voico, yep. 
the wonderful Chris Carr. Bye. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.